When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Chicago. I am Kevin McDonald, and I'm performing Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show live at the Chicago Podcast Festival with special guests Bob Saget, Scott Adsitz, and musical guest Fruit Bats. Friday, November 18th at 7 p.m. Please come. Please come. You can get your tickets at foreverdogpodcasts.com. Please come. Please come. Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show is brought to you by Casper.com. Hey, receive $50 towards any mattress purchase at www.caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. That's me. And by WarbyParker.com. That's W-A-R-B-Y Parker. Everyone knows how to spell Parker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on. Sounds sexy. At www.WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. Hey, I'm rapping. Five pairs, five days, 100% free. It's the Kevin McDonald Show. The Kevin McDonald Show. The Kevin McDonald, Kevin McDonald Show. Everybody, come on! It's the Kevin McDonald Show. Kevin McDonald, Kevin McDonald Show. Welcome! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. We are very happy to be here at the New York Comedy Festival, and Kevin wants to thank you beforehand for not booing him when he enters the stage. I am the announcer for this evening's show, and let me explain my job. I'm here to keep things moving and to explain to our podcast audience what Kevin is doing to be getting all the laughs that he will be allegedly getting tonight. You see... Though he insists on doing an audio show, Kevin is more of a physical comedian than a verbal one. He is, if you will, Noel Coward. If Noel Coward wasn't anything at all like Noel Coward. A Noel Coward that would have his audience saying, Oh my God, what has happened to Noel Coward? Instead of his famous wit, he's just saying things that don't make any sense. Did a toolbox fall on his head before the show? But do not worry, good audience. That is why I am here. Hopefully, by the time people are listening to this podcast, they have purchased this book. The Kevin McDonald Physical Comedy Reference Guide and Code Book. (laughs) If everybody listening to this podcast refers to this book constantly throughout the show, then by listening to the short-form code that I will be saying, you will understand exactly what Mr. McDonald is doing to get his laughs. For example, 14B is when he makes the face that makes him look like an inbred puppet with no neck. 17D is the face that he makes him look like a child molester, if child molesters were winsome. 
46a is when you ask him the time, and he accidentally pours water on his shirt. There is also, of course, the very popular Code Red 112, where Mr. McDonald fakes a heart attack when he realizes that he is bombing. Good. So, keep your book handy, and we're ready to start the show. Now please give a warm New York Comedy Festival welcome, and don't boo, Mr. Kevin McDonald! Twenty-nine A. Hi, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. Fourteen B. Seventeen F. Which leads to seventeen G. Funny limping. Kevin, uh, what time is it? Oh, it's uh. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Forty-six A. I warned you about that one, Kevin. <laughs> yes. 96C, 31A, 17G again, 49E, 63A through F. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin McDonald. I have a wet shirt. I have a wet shirt. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, It's very good to be here. Very happy to be here. I'm very happy to be here. It's good to be here, but I'm very happy to be here. And I'm performing at the New York Comedy Festival! Yes! Thank you for that applause. And I'm also recording my podcast, Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. Thank you for the slightly smaller applause. I'm doing the New York Festival, and I'm doing my podcast. Festival podcast. Festival podcast. Hmm. I wonder which one is more important to me. Okay. 
love you, New York City. Ignore what I'm saying to New York. Anyone who's listening to the podcast, I don't mean any of it. It's really you I'm doing this for. I'm just here because of a bad agent. New York can be an asshole sometimes. It's you that I really care about. I'm doing the New York Festival. I'm also doing my podcast show. What do I care about more? I think by now you know. You know, of course, New York. I mean, you're fucking New York. Of course, you're the reason why I'm here. I don't really mean that podcast. I'm just saying that to be polite. You're my favorite child. New York always disappoints me. New York is everything. What I'm saying in the podcast is a lie. You're the reason I'm here. I am, of course, lying, podcast. You're my number one. Hey, I love New York. Fuck the podcast. I would never say that after New York. Uh, you know what? Fuck New York. Fuck New York. Yeah, fuck New York. Yeah, fuck New York. Thank you very much. Always win an audience over by saying fuck the city that you're in. Thank you very much. You know, um, it's always exciting to be in New York, of course. Uh, I once lived here for six months in 1987 uh, with a wonderful comedy troupe. I believe they're called The Kids in the Hall. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We had just been discovered by uh, a wonderful, wonderful lady named Lauren Michaels. Wonderful woman, really wonderful woman. She snapped us up from Toronto. We were a small club act. She brought us to New York to write our HBO pilot during the week. But on the weekends, we did live shows. Um, we did our shows at a restaurant theater called the West Bank Cafe. Is that still around, the West Bank Cafe? Nobody knows. They okay. just signed a new lease. They just signed a new lease. Thank you, announcer. Um, uh, well, Lauren Michaels, and she was a beautiful woman in the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. Beautiful woman. Uh, felt that doing shows in New York would toughen us up. After performing um, for those, uh, how does she put it, quote-unquote, sissy Toronto audiences and their pansy laughter. Uh, This story will illustrate that Lauren Michaels was absolutely correct. Um, Those New York shows, though, were always fun. We had a 40-year-old playwright-slash-comedian open the show for us. This is a true story. Uh, He did a Mort Saul kind of thing where he would read newspapers uh, and come up with lots of jokes about what he read. We loved him. The kids in the hall loved him thought he was hilarious, but we knew he would never make it. He was too old. His name? Lewis Black. <laughs> Kids in the hall! Talent scouts of the stars! We're always wrong! Uh, now, uh, for one particular show we did in New York, uh, Scott Thompson had written an excellent sketch where he played Fran, a middle-aged woman based on his mother, um, who has just discovered his son, Brian, is gay. Uh, in the scene, uh, Fran comically comes to accept her son's admission, but she worries about how her husband Gordon is going to take it. Um, then the audience uh, gets to see Gordon's worst fear. Uh, the worst fear is acted out by us. Um, now, what is Dad's worst fear? Well, Scott, who obviously must also be the genius head writer for Satan, um, <laughs> came up with this for his worst fear. This is a true story. Uh, the son Brian is sitting on stage when suddenly an AIDS fairy... comes out and sprinkles him with AIDS dust. (laughs) Remember, let's put this story in context. This is New York in 1987 in what is now known as the peak of the AIDS epidemic. At this point in time, everyone in New York knows someone who has died at the hands of this horrible disease, and we are doing a scene with an AIDS fairy. Here's more good news. I 
Kevin McDonald get to play the AIDS fairy. I am to wear uh, little wings, a blonde uh, Dorothy Hamill-like wig, and a pink tutu. I will carry a bucket full of multicolored confetti, which is to be my AIDS dust. A rip tailor of evil, if you will. To make sure the audience understands all this, on the side of the bucket we write, AIDS dust. Now, before this particular show, true story, uh, uh, Lauren Michaels uh, paid us our next installment of our HBO money, which was uh, a fortune to us, $5,000 each. Now, I don't know if this was to impress us uh, or because he just got the money by robbing a 7-Eleven, uh, but he paid it uh, in cash. Uh, we had $100 bills adding up to $5,000. Uh, right before the show, during our entire performance, we had wads of $100 bills in our pockets. Uh, Scott Thompson, the clumsy one, uh, clumsy one got tossed, um, his got tossed over the floor of the dressing room. I slipped and fell on $5,000. <laughs> anyway, we do the show. Um, it's going quite well. Uh, we get to the Fran scene. The first part of the Fran scene kills. Then we get to the part where we show Gordon's worst fear. Dave, who is playing Brian, is sitting on the stage. And then I, the AIDS fairy, comes out with my bucket of AIDS. AIDS dust! I have AIDS dust! Lots of AIDS dust! AIDS dust! I say AIDS dust 18 times. AIDS dust for everyone! At first, the audience sits in open mouth horror. And then in unison, almost as if they had rehearsed it. They all scream at the same time, No! <laughs> then someone, I remember a tiny five foot two bald fellow with a squeaky voice, stands up and yells, You must stop this now! <laughs> now, I don't know who the first audience member was that rushed the stage and attacked us, but soon everybody was attacking us. Uh, the bartender, our own agent, Lauren Michaels, I think even Bruce McCullough attacked us. <laughs> The audience is attacking Dave Scott and I because we're the ones on stage. Scott is yelling, it's true, it's true. Can't you take the truth? Glory, glory, hallelujah. <laughs> Mark comes out, uh, backstage in between scenes. He's puffing on a cigarette with his shirt off, holding a chair. Get back, get back. Do not kill these sketch comedians. I am yelling in uh, true story. <laughs> this is all true. Uh, I am yelling in true Kevin fashion. Scott wrote it, Scott wrote it, kill him. Suddenly, I get a brainstorm. I reach into my pocket. I start throwing my $100 bills at the audience. Take it! We deserve it! Take our money! Here's my keys! Take everything! Here's my girlfriend's phone number! Take it all! The audience agrees. They take the money. The show is over. I take the subway home, still in my AIDS fairy costume. I am asked out on three dates. Scott Thompson is a genius. That is the end of Kevin's long AIDS intro. He has much longer things to come, Much, much longer! For example, uh, now it's time for our long comedy sketch. Yay! Ah. Yes, we now take you to a restaurant somewhere in the town of Comedy Sketchville. Kyle, a young man in his early 30s. <laughs> Kevin, 30s? Please, Kevin. <laughs> Though he is played by the aging Mr. McDonald. One is reminded of the 112-year-old Cheetah Rivera playing in The Kiss of the Spider Woman. Kev is seated at a table with Monica, a woman, 
played by the brilliant Rachel Dratch. We now take you to a comedy sketch. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Monica, but we met exactly two months ago today. Really? Well, happy anniversary, Kyle. Sorry, I have trouble pronouncing that word. That's all right. I love K's. I'll never forget the day I met you, Monica. Who knew that on a day which started so badly, something so good would happen? Oh, that's right. You lost one of your toes that morning. Yes. Always remember where you hide your mousetraps. That's what I learned. <laughs> well, the meal was amazing. Um, would you like to come over to the house and have some tea? Yes. Yes, I would love very much to come over to your house tonight, Monica. Very, very much. A half hour later, and Kyle and Monica are walking down a residential street to her house. You know, Monica, I haven't had a girlfriend in, like, gee, three years. It's, it's like I've been waiting for someone very special. I think you're special, Monica. Very, very special. I think you're special, too, Kyle. Monica squeezes Kyle's hand. And strong. You're also very strong. <laughs> this is my place here. Sorry it's so dark. My, my porch light burned out. I like you a lot, Monica. You're kissing the mailbox, Kyle. Uh, oh. Another half hour later, and Kyle and Monica are in her bed, making sweet, sweet love. Oh, 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 Monica. You're not a mailbox. Oh, Monica. Oh, Monica. Oh, Monica. Oh, Monica. Oh, Kyle, I mean, oh, Kyle. We hear <laughs> Kyle's inner thoughts. Okay, Kyle. Monica's amazing, but calm down. Come on, Kyle, calm down. You're too excited. You don't want to ruin this by ejaculating right away. It's been many years since you've had sex, and oh my God, she's beautiful, but you've got to slow down, Kyle. Slow down, boy. Think of wholesome thoughts. Think of pure and wholesome thoughts. Uh, baseball. In 108 years, the Cubs haven't won. It's game six of the World Series. If you're not watching this tonight. My Aunt Judy's rhubarb pie. Come on, Kyle. Have a piece of hot out-of-the-oven rhubarb pie. Good old-fashioned rock and roll. Do -do 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 -do. My dad. Hey, Kyle, give me another beer, will you? No! And Kyle came. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Monica. Sorry. Sorry. It's all right, Kyle. Please don't worry about it. Maybe you spent too much time kissing my mailbox. Maybe. The next day, a worried Kyle sits at his cubicle at work, nervously tapping his pencil. He makes a phone call. Hi, it's Kyle, Monica. No, not a guy named Kyle, Monica. It's me, Kyle, comma, Monica. Oh, you knew a guy named Kyle, Monica. And he got in a coma, so everyone called him Kyle, coma, Monica. Yeah, that does sound a lot like Kyle, comma, Monica. Funny. Listen... <laughs> Would you like to go out tonight? I thought maybe maybe a movie, and then, you know, um, hang out. Uh, excellent. I'll pick you up at seven. See you later, Monica. We hear the sounds of Kyle and Monica making out again. Later that night, Kyle and Monica are back in her bed, making sweet, sweet love once more. We hear Kyle's inner thoughts. Okay. Calm down, Kyle. Calm down. This can't happen again. Think of calming thoughts. Think of British soccer. And he's walking down the field here, right here, passing the run, the right goal, and there's a goal! A beautiful day in the beach. <sighs> My dad. Kyle, give me a pack of Marlboros and get a receipt. <laughs> and Kyle came. Sorry, 
Sorry. Sorry, Eva. Sorry. That's okay. I'm going to go kiss the mailbox for a bit. Sure. The next day, Kyle sits at his cubicle at work again, looking completely dejected and slightly crazed. He slowly opens his drawer and takes out a framed picture. It's of his dad. He looks at it. And Kyle came. We hear Kyle humming crazily as he hums. The next day, an unshaven and very stressed out Kyle paces like a madman up and down his living room. Finally, he makes a phone call. Hi, Dad. It's me. Me. It's Kyle, Dad. No, not a guy named Kyle, Dad. It's your son, Kyle, and you're my dad. Look, Dad, I'm going through something, and uh, I, need, I need to see you right away. Yes, it's got to be right away. Later that afternoon, a very upset Kyle is over at his dad's house, knocking on the door. The door opens. It's his dad, soaking wet, wearing nothing but a towel wrapped around his waist, standing on his tippy toes. Kyle gulps. Sorry, son, I've been working all day and had to take a shower. So I'm a little wet. And naked. Kyle gulps. Well, come in, son, come in. So what's up, Kyle? Um, you know, you know, same old, same old, you know, you know, um, um, uh, how are things? Things? My things are good. But I don't think we're here to talk about my things. How are your things, Kyle? Well, Dad, um, my things are kind of confused, actually. Go on. Well, um, I'm dating this girl, Monica. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And our relationship has come to the point where um, it's time for um, intimacy. That's very good. And uh, the first time we got intimate, I, I, I didn't want to get too excited. That would be bad. So I started thinking of uh, various calming images. That's good again. And um, I thought of you, and I came. Well, we're back to bad. (laughs) But it was just a coincidence, Kyle. Nothing to worry about. Well, uh, I must tell you, Father, uh, I've thought about you several times uh, since, and I have come every time. We seem to be staying in bad for a while. Um, But look, son, these things happen. It doesn't mean anything. The first time was just bad timing. And then you got so obsessed with it, you kept making it happen. It means nothing. I once came thinking of Julius Irving. Big deal. He dunked sexy. Thank you so much, Dad. That helps a lot. Thank you. He gets up to hug his dad. Dad gets up and embraces his son. They stare at each other. Suddenly, they start madly kissing. The kissing becomes more passionate. Soon they are tonguing. They continue to tongue. All right, Kyle. Think boring thoughts. Think boring thoughts. Baseball, rhubarb pie, the Pope. Ah! And Kyle Kane. Thank you, everyone, for listening to my disgusting sketch. Thank you. He's gone. Thank you, Frank. Sorry I'm so disgusting. I'm sorry. Uh, But I'm going to ask uh, for a table and two chairs, and then the brilliant Rachel Dratch is going to come on stage and have an interviewer. Remember, I'm a bad interviewer. Sorry. Interview music. Interview music. 
Rachel, for a good Sure, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, it's such an honor to have you here, and thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I can't believe that you thank said you. yes. Thank you very much. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Uh, Hi, everyone. Uh, Hi. Hello. Rachel Dredge. Again, I apologize beforehand because I'm not really uh, an interviewer. Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, do you know the story? Uh, U2, Bono, uh, after their uh, first album, he lost all the lyrics to his second album. Then right when they recorded, he uh, rewrote lyrics. Uh, that's what I did with the interview. I lost it and I rewrote. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm like the Bono of interviews. Awesome. Without the good part. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here with huge news. We have... A terrific episode of Office Hours Live prepared for you. We had the great stand-up comedian Kyle Kinane come in and a very special in-studio music session from legendary Emdu Mokhtar. You're not going to want to miss this one. You can find it on your podcast app of choice by going to Sears or Macy's and getting an iPod and then coming home, charging it up and listening through your app. I don't believe that. No, thank you very much. What does this mean? Some Your of my writing's cl- as bad as mine. <laughs> Hang on, I have Kevin. horrible handwriting. Hang on. Oh, sorry. They say creative people have bad penmanship. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, thank you. Am I, st- am I to hang on? Hang on. No, I'm saying you're doing great. Oh, oh hang, hang on. Hang in there. Hang in thank there. Hang in there, Kevin. Hang in. Well, here's a little tiny thing that I wanted to talk about. Yes. And a lot of my questions aren't questions, so there are statements that I'll add question marks to it. Great. To make it a question. So here I go. Fantastic. So you play the cello? Oh, yes. <laughs> you play the cello. Well, wow, that's a that's a deep dive. Um, Tell me about that. Well, you know, to be honest, it kind of sits in the corner, but I used to play, and I have the cello, and it's one of those things that you think, like, one of these days I'm just going to take it back out of its case and play Bach in the afternoon, and that doesn't happen. <laughs> but it's kind of a goal of mine. But you yeah. could be like, uh, like those comedians like Jack Benny who had a fiddle, yes. only you'd have a heavier exactly. uh, object, the cello. Well, it's a good visual gag because it's just – big and people don't expect it and so but i but i so I, sometimes i trot it out for comic purposes but i i don't i don't play it you know just on of a, of a sunday afternoon yeah i'm gonna go with my instincts to stay in the cello a bit longer yeah okay here i go <laughs> here's my instincts uh was there ever a thought when you were younger the do i become a cello player or a comedian did you oh um maybe when i was like you know when you're like maybe in sixth or seventh grade and you think like yeah I could do anything. But then when I actually was in orchestra, I was... You know when people say, like, oh, I'm really bad at it, and people never believe me? I was the last chair. So <laughs> I have proof that I was never going to be a professional. last chair, like, left last field? In the... I don't know the baseball oh, uh, metaphor, but, but, um, but uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm if we're getting another metaphor. Thing, it means you're the worst. Yes. Uh, okay. Oh, I just of thought that it was... Group. Of that group. It's not like alphabetical order or anything. No, it means you're the worst. It might have been. <laughs> Oh, here's a question that is similar to the one I just asked. Yeah. Here I go. Here I go. Now, you are obviously a naturally funny person. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but you're also doing, like, real theater lately. Uh, this is a similar question, but here I go. I'm going to follow my instincts. 
Um, uh, when you were young, was it? Um, did you say I want to be an actor first, or did I want to be a comedian? What, what is it? Ooh, now can I ask you? Can I turn yes. the tables? Yeah. No. Did you? It's too hard. When you were younger, did you know you wanted to be a comedian, or is this something you kind of fell into? You know what? Uh, yeah, we we can make it about me. The world revolves around me. I'll okay. answer that question. Okay. Um, when I was young, uh, my two idols yeah. uh, were uh, like really young, eight or nine, were Jerry Lewis and Marlon Brando. Oh. And I wanted to be a combination of Jerry Lewis oh. and Marlon Brando. But you definitely wanted to be an actor of some I, sort. I wanted to be an actor, a uh, comedian. I knew it wasn't stand up. You, okay. Did you have the same? I mistake? never did stand up. Yeah. But I was also like, you know, I, you know, every kid wants to at some point be a marine biologist. Of, of course. course, of course. And then <laughs> I guess not. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was really gonna like hit. Nerd, but I wrong not. crowd. Oh, okay, wrong crowd. <laughs> this is not a marine biology crowd. No, no. Um, okay, so show. no, so I, you know, I wanted to. I, I had many sort of career aspirations, and then, but acting was always sort of like a fun thing. But then I also like I loved watching SNL, and so I was always into comedy. But it was more of like, oh, maybe that'd be cool. But I didn't, I didn't dare to dream the dream. But no, I only, almost like last year, like I was the, the last chair of drama. Like I was not gonna be, <laughs> I was not gonna be like an actor. So it was always comedy was, you know, where I felt better. I guess I'm in the last chair of the kids in the hall. <laughs> no. And we only have four chairs. <laughs> There's five of us in four chairs. That means I wasn't sitting. Um, but no, I never did stand-up, though. Stand-up would yes. scare the hell out of me. I knew that. I, I did, liked, yes, yes. Yeah, I always liked a group thing where, like, you know, you could keep the ball in the air with each other. Comedy acting and, uh, and uh, listening and then saying something uh, maybe was funny or maybe it helped uh, set up the next joke exactly. for somebody else. Right. Gene Wilder. I'm sorry, so sorry for screaming. Yeah. Um, not, I always scream his name. I'm sorry. I have yeah, no choice. that's okay. Gene Wilder yeah. uh, insisted to his dying day uh, that he was not a comedian but an actor. Oh, and right. that he j- no one knew that because most of his movies were comedy. Yeah. I'm trying to make that a question. Uh, Gene Wilder? Gene Wilder? <laughs> did you like Gene yes, Wilder? Yes, I say yes. Yes, to that yes. Question. So, uh, how did you get into Second City? Uh, by then, you knew, or was it one of those accident um, stories? So then, I so then I did improv and well, I, you know, I did some plays in college and that, but then I joined the improv group and then I felt like, okay, yeah, this is my thing. And then, and then I decided to try to move out to Chicago, but it was kind of one of those like, now I mean, now there's a whole improv scene in New York, but back then there really kind of wasn't. So, right. so I thought like, okay, I'll just try this just so I know I gave it a shot. And then I can go back to the suburbs of Boston and become a therapist, which was my other career choice. <laughs> I had left the marine biology thing behind. So, um, so yeah, then I moved out to Chicago, and then, oh, my gosh, so I auditioned for Second City Training Center, okay, right, right. which is the classes. Right, right. And back then, like, I was like, oh, everyone gets into the classes if you have any experience. So everyone but me, last chair, got into the classes. Like, I didn't get into the classes, so I just moved there, and I was like, oh, my God, what have I done, you know? But then, eventually, you know, I, I tried again and got and then, you know, worked my way up there. How many levels City. were there back then? There were five levels oh back then. Oh, my God. I think there's way more You're now. so much younger than me. There was, there was only one level back then. I, I couldn't do one level. Really? I, I, there was I, one level back then? There was, Toronto, I, are we Yeah, talking? Toronto, Toronto. Okay, okay. I auditioned I the zero level, and I didn't make the yeah. zero level. Now, there. did all you guys... Like the whole kids in the let me turn the tables again. Yes, the world revolves uh, around okay. me. No, kids in the hall. No, I had heard this little rumor that kids in the hall were because like you guys weren't in Second City, right. but you all kind of worked there or something. No, what's this? We, uh, we, we all auditioned, but we didn't get in because uh, they said we were too weird. But when you're like in your See, early twenties and you've never got a job, you think too weird means oh they're being nice. They're very they're telling right. us we're bad. Right, right. And then we were uh, blah 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 discovered by Lauren Michaels. I love and that. And then uh, but, but Lauren Michaels only uh, I'll be quick because this is about you. Um, yeah. So I'm panicking. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I want to uh, know. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, only hired uh, two of us because five oh. of us was ridiculous. They picked oh. the two oldest ones, Bruce and Mark. Yeah. Uh, 
and then because uh, there was heat, heat, heat yeah. on us in uh, Canada, heat. Um, uh, Second City hired the three of us to, oh. to be the touring company. Oh, but we fall. Oh, that's not. It's your story. I'm not going to. I'll tell you later after the show. I'm going to find out the rest of it. I'll tell you later after the show. Yes, but I like. I, yeah, I wanted to know the kids in the hall thing. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, um, uh, uh, but did you know Del Close? I did. I took class with him, and Ali and I started way back when at Improv Olympic in Chicago. And Del Close was that thing. Does yeah. everyone know Del Close? <laughs> Improv legend. Improv legend. I have yeah. one question of you. Uh, yeah. A few women have told me this. That he smells good. Smelt. I never got close enough. <laughs> I mean, I took class, but I was never, like, right up there. The smelling him? Yeah. Well, that's the problem. Um, but I'm uh, going to – I'll agree with it. Uh, thank you very speak much. Well, speak well of him. Yeah. Here's a question that um, uh, I'm always wondering about this. Uh, you made Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a dream of a comic actor. What's the first week like? What's your oh first – Oh, my God. Oh, Ali and I – Ali and I were there in our first week oh, together. Oh, uh, Ali, join in. For real. What was it like, the but first yes, week? But the that's why week. like, we were in the trenches together because, okay, I was the only new person, new actor hired that year. And Ali, really? I think, was the only new writer hired that year, I believe. Wow. So, but at SNL, I mean, at least the way it was back then, they just kind of like, it's like throwing the baby in the pool. Like, it's not like, here's how it works and here's your welcome basket. Like, da, da, da. But I mean, like, we luckily we knew some people that were already there. But you kind of just like, oh, here we go. Strap on for this ride kind of thing. And then, you know, it's writing night and you have to try to write sketches. And you're like just going with the flow and wide eyed and, you know, excited. Are you more nervous or more excited? Oh, boy. Uh, probably 50-50. Or maybe, you know, maybe back then I was more excited. But now looking back, I was always nervous there. But, um, <laughs> but, um. Yeah, so what was the question? Uh, first week. What was it like? First week. Okay. Like your emotions. It was a thrill. It was a total thrill. Oh, so then, so you know how you can get cut. Uh, you know, your scene can get cut, like, at any point. So yes. I wasn't really fully aware, like, how much your scene could get cut at, like, so many different points in the week. So, um, so anyway, first week, my scene got cut. Second week, my scene got cut. So I wasn't in the first two shows. You know, you're like, I'm on Saturday Live. And then uh, you had to, like, call all your friends and say, yeah, I wasn't in it. But, um, <laughs> and so then by the third, the third week, I was finally on the show. But, but Lauren kind of, like, he wants you to have a, you know, a debut that's, like, he wants to sort of, I don't know, show you in your best Life. He sort of thinks of the bigger picture. Exactly. Whether but, you want to or not. not. Thinks, yeah, <laughs> exactly. big, you are not thinking the big picture. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was it's, it was a thrill, though. What was your first scene? Oh, that's a good oh question. Gosh. I didn't write that down. Oh, you know what it was? What was your first scene? Well, back then, um, I think Allie McBeal was on the air, which no one here might remember. But anyways, <laughs> um, and I did a really killer Callista Flockhart, which you guys probably might not even know who she is. But anyways, uh, okay, you too. So anyways... That's so that well, it's really just a facial expression which won't work for do a it, podcast. Do it, do it. It was just kind of like this. That was it. <laughs> do you hear that laughter, radio audience? <laughs> it was good. It it's was very good. funny podcast, so, um, people. So anyway, that would just stammer a lot. So anyways, that's what I think Tina wrote a scene and and she um, put me in as Calista Flockhart, and that, that was my first moment on the show. Yes. Now the th- the brilliant theater you've been doing, um, oh. I don't even know. Is it comedy? Is it drama? Is it acting? Um, like you're an actor. I, you know, I'm a, I am Marlon Brando of your equation. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I do, you know I do mostly comic plays here in New York. Uh, so right. I got to do one over the summer at the Public Theater, which was a big thrill with um, Daniel Radcliffe. Who, by the way, this yes. is funny, but you know I played Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. On us and yes. Harry Potter. The kids in the hall saw that sketch on the tour bus. Oh really? Yes. Well, but what I was about to bring up is so there I was. 
with Daniel Radcliffe, and I, the first day I was like, um, so, uh, you know, I've, I've actually played you on the show. He knew, he was super cool about it. But, so every time I looked at him, like, he looked like every one of my relatives. Like, I'm convinced we're related. But then I also get told that I look like you a lot, which I can yes. also see I as well. Too. So here I am with my... People think we can play mirror. brother and sister. Yeah, see? see? So anyways, um, but yeah, it was, it was um, the play I did was called Privacy, and it was, it was kind of like a comedy, but also it was about how like when you're carrying around a smartphone, everything about you can be known. So it was almost like a little TED talky plus comedy <laughs> plus audience interaction. And that was that. Uh, but you also write. Do you, uh, are you going to write a play one day? Mm, probably not. <laughs> I don't mean, to, it take I don't mean to know but you, but I'm probably not going to. No, writing's one of those things, like, I do writing when I sort of, like, hit the rock bottom of You know, I don't really enjoy, yeah. I don't really, <laughs> no, for myself, because, like, writing's great when it's done, and it's like, I did, I did yes. that. I wrote that whole thing. But when you're just facing the blank screen or page or whatever it is, it's, it just gives me so much anxiety. So, so I, ha- I really have to be driven to a point to write. But then eventually I do. When it's done, it's so amazing. I always go to a Mexican restaurant. You do? I, I go to Mexican and have a margarita. Re- I love margaritas. <laughs> yeah, well, let's write something tonight. That's my tonight. drink of choice. We'll um, write something tonight wait, and go so have a margarita. What, Mexi- like, what city are you in when you're in a Mexican restaurant? Uh, Is it a certain uh, restaurant? I make sure that I finish writing in Mexico all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I take a plane to write the last page, okay. and, I, and I go to Mexico City. That sounds City. romantic, like you're just on a beach alone writing. Writing and having yeah. my margarita. Um, yes. no, but, okay, I'll, I'll leave that for my interview of you later. Yes, okay. uh, okay. it'll, it'll be later. Uh, does anyone know later, the movie? I mean, I'm so sorry. Yeah, okay, go ahead. So sorry. Go Brother ahead. and sister. Brother and sister. <laughs> but you saw that last Who case. remembers okay. the movie Hebrew Hammer? <laughs> <laughs> there, that was good. Now, uh, Hebrew Hammer. Uh, Another it, deep dive. <laughs> it's a very funny movie <laughs> that Rachel's in. I think it. I had two lines in it. Uh, but for you real? were great in it. You stole Thank the movie. <laughs> I, I, I remember thinking that when I saw it a few years ago. You saw the movie. Uh, my friend John Kesselman wrote and directed it. Uh, so this is not to do with the audience. I have to screw you for a second. Uh, tell me about John Kesselman. Do you remember him at all? It was a few years um, ago. I don't remember how I met him. <laughs> so far, so I've good. Lost, go on. I've lost touch with him. Yes, go on. So that's, that's that. Was he nice on set? Yeah, he was really nice. And all he right. put me in his movie, which it starred Adam Goldberg. And I remember um, he was kind of like a shaft, but he was like a... Like an Orthodox Jewish yes, shaft. Uh, uh, yes. And I think the tagline was like, Shabbat Shalom, motherfucker. Right? Yes. Something like that. That's funny. Maybe anyway. you should go see it. Yeah. I just ruined the movie for you guys, though. That was... Okay, anyway. <laughs> I, I, I have uh, one last question that I'm asking everybody, but uh, next week I can't, so you're the last person I'm asking it. Oh, uh, here I go. I'm What's scared. your take on Donald Trump? Why, why, I'm a Canadian. I love him. Oh, my God. You love him as a comedian. I'm and he's, so... Uh, yes. No. Um, you know, I... Oh, why is he so pop? Why is he so popular? I don't know. This You're an American. Me, Tell this me. This keeps me up at night. I don't know. It's so disturbing me. Like I can't even try to be funny about it. There's uh, nothing funny I have to say about Donald Trump. I just I, I wonder why he's so. Uh, well, I sort I don't of, know. It's so. It's uh, this is going to really take it a downer turn, if you will. That's why I like um, to end all the interviews with a downer <laughs> turn. <laughs> no, I I have nothing nothing comic to say about him except I hope he we never. Well, I know we'll hear from him again, but I hope he's out of our. Our brains next week. Yes. Uh, everyone here is for Donald Trump, so that's fine. <laughs> we respect your political opinions. Okay. But one last question and no, more. We can't end on Trump. We cannot we, end, yeah, we on can Trump. end on Trump. No. What's your, uh, I'm sorry, that was a mistake of mine. Uh, <laughs> I'm what? so pissed at you. No, go okay, ahead. No, I, I am too. The two of us are. Brother and sister. 
What's your all-time favorite sketch you did? When people ask me that, I sketch. hate it. I, but, but, uh, I but I'm really interested in that. <laughs> really okay. Interested. Well, my... Oh, I have, I have and it's two. hard to think of it for I like that two. second, because you may have a different uh, well, favorite you know, okay, tomorrow. Okay, first of all, here's... Can I, can I explain a little? Yes, Because, please. okay, when you're on a cell... Well, back when I used to watch a show, I was like, why do so many things recur? Because I like seeing new things all the time. Yes! Yes, you too? Yes! Oh, you thought that too? Yes! Okay, so... But when you're on the show, it's like, that's how you get... Air, air time because if you have yes. you know this yes. if you have your little franchise because you're always struggling to get on the show and like back when I was there the cast was huge so someone was always on the bench you know so um so if you had a franchise character then that you know could kind of guarantee you yes. more time anyway what's my point here I don't know um, but but aside from that so your favorite is one of your running characters well I don't even know because I had okay whatever but anyways my favorite is probably because we started cracking up so hard the Debbie Downer Disney World scene yes! because but because, like, people would always say, like, is that show really live? You know, people didn't. And, like, I loved, I always loved as a viewer when something went wrong on the show and you were reminded that it was live. Like, I would always crack up at home before I was on the show. So, for me, that was, it was just so out of control and it was so not, you know, what it was supposed to be. But it was so fun and crazy. So, that was my, probably my favorite. Was it a surprise? Did you laugh during rehearsal? No, as a matter of fact, okay, so Jimmy and Horatio, you know, they would crack up sometimes on the show. So during dress rehearsal, they were laughing a lot, and I was like, these guys better not mess up my sketch. Like, they're laughing a lot. Like, guys, come on. This is like, it's so, so then when air came, like, I flubbed one little line. I don't know what it was. Then the, the fact that I just did something super serious every time. For some reason, I just got off the rails. I don't even know why, but then I have no explanation. Thank you very much. Sister Rachel Dratch. Okay. Thank you. Big hand. Thank you so much Thank for doing you. this. Thank you. Thank you. Education. Now I'm going to read an ad. For you listeners of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, Casper is offering $50 towards any mattress, any mat, even mattresses they don't own. Any mattress purchased at Casper.com. All right, not every mattress. Listen. The Casper mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It has just the right sink. Don't know what that means. Just the right bounce. I have no idea what that means. Two technologies, latex foam and memory foam. Don't know what they are. Come together for a life well slept. Casper has a risk-free trial and a return policy. It also has a risky trial, but I would stay with a risk-free trial and a return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free shipping and painless returns. I'll be there. I'll come to the mattress and I'll count. I'll say 99 days. I'll wait 24 hours. 100 days. It's done. No wonder the Casper mattress is the most awarded mattress of the decade. To receive $50 towards any mattress purchase, go to caspertrial.com slash McDonald. Once again, that's caspertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald for $50 towards any mattress purchase. Warby Parker is our next sponsor. Now, Warby Parker is offering a free five-day home try-on to give you the opportunity to check out their glasses. Yeah, they sell glasses. Cool. Glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone. Who said they did? Shut up. Warby Parker's prescription glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. They make... Buying glasses online, easy and risk-free. Warby Parker's home try-on program allows customers to order five pairs of glasses, sometimes five and a half pairs, to be shipped directly to them where they can try them on in the comfort of their own home and get feedback from friends, family, and colleagues, even ex-wives. 
Users can keep the frames for five days before sending them back free using the prepaid return shipping label with no obligation to purchase. Hey, when you place an order for prescription glasses, Warby Parker gets started on them right away and has them in your hands within 10 business days. I'll be there counting. Seven days, you have three days left to get your glasses. 24 hours later, eight days, you have two days, and so on. They usually arrive even faster than that, and then you can kick me out of your house. To get your home trial today, go to warbyparkertrial.com slash Kevin McDonald. Once again, that's WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Kevin McDonald for your free five-day home try-on. Uh, oh, my God, who's here? Um, it's producer Phil. Uh, the, the producer Phil, everybody. Phil's the producer of this podcast. Uh, say hi to Phil. Hi, Kevin. Hi, everyone. Hey, Phil, I forget. How did you become the producer again? I... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. I think someone died. Whatever it takes. Uh, Phil, we're kind of in the middle of the show right now. Oh, oh, is that what this is? This is a show? Yes, it's a podcast show. Oh, that's, that's great. Producing. That's great. I, You know, I've heard of those, and I guess, you know, I better do some producing since it's a show and there's people here. Uh, so let's see. What, uh, Produce. what producing can I do? Uh, I'm touch this lamp here. Uh, <laughs> adjust this light, but I'm not really going to because... You know, and, uh, you know, producing things, uh, dusting a chair, dusting a, with my $19 bandana I bought in Dumbo. I'm going to dust this table over here. I'm going to move this, put this over here, and uh, say, Kevin, would you like some water, Kevin? Yes, that's a good producing thing, and thank you, Phil. Water would be lovely. That's great. Great, great. Now, uh, ice cold or room temperature? Well, I usually like my water room temperature. Uh, no, no, I meant the room. <laughs> You mean, would I like the room room temperature? Yes. Would you like the room room temperature or the temperature of ice-cold water? <laughs> I think I'll have my room room temperature, Phil. Great. Great. You're the boss. And, you know, I'll get you that water, too. I hope you like it the same way I like it. Piping hot. <laughs> <laughs> Used to be a lobster killer down at Ralph's and uh, sort of acquired a taste. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, bye, everyone. Bye, Phil. <laughs> Producer Phil, everybody. All right. Produce it. And now, a story by Kevin McDonald. But first... Hey, announcer, what time is it? It's 8.45. 46B, <laughs> that's a new one. Callback. And now, a story. Ladies and gentlemen... Uh, I want you to know that I that I am trying to eat better. Uh, I'm trying to be gluten free. Um, I'm trying to be gluten free. I'm trying. In, in fact, my healthy wife, healthy Paula, uh, has taught me the benefits of being gluten free, of eating rice products. That's the the easiest way to eat gluten free rice products. So I went to the grocery store the other day um, and I bought my rice products. I bought my rice crackers, my rice cookies, my rice cereal, and of course my all wheat rice. Yes, my rice is made of wheat. I'm trying to eat rice foods, but I draw the lines at rice. I will not eat rice rice. My rice has to be made of pure wheat. I love my wheat rice. Always have and always will. So that day at the grocery store, I've got my rice products at the cashier. I'm ready to pay. I am using a debit card because cash, actual dollar bills, died around the fall of 2003. And, and if I hand the under 25-year-old cashier actually dollar bills she'll start to panic and try to shove them in the debit machine. I, in turn, will also panic 
try to grab the money from her, and with my elbow, accidentally knock one of her breasts, this particular cashier has three. <laughs> She'll charge me with harassment, and there'll be a story in the paper about a minor celebrity slash sexual offender who attacks three-breasted women and has a lot of rice products. So I'm using a debit card. But I have to lean over to use the debit machine because the guy in the line behind me has his cart way past the debit machine, almost touching my body. And I sort of have to lean over his cart to reach the machine. Now, I'm a polite Canadian. I'm even polite for a Canadian. You often hear me say, sorry, eh? So I don't complain. I just lean over his cart, uh, trying to use the debit machine. I even do that polite thing that the loser polite people of the world do, even as they are being wronged, I smile at him. <laughs> as if to say, hey, sir, not only do I not mind you uh, making me stretch over your cart full of eggs and Playboy ma magazines, but it's the normal thing to do. You are doing the normal thing. Always make it hard for the customer in front of you to use the debit machine. Never move your card out of the way, no matter how easy it is to do. You, sir, are abiding by the unspoken structures of our society. I'd be disappointed if I didn't have to stretch over your card of eggs and Playboy magazines. Thank you. Thank you for treating me in the regular way and not like some freak who just stands in front of a debit machine and uses it without stretching. Thank you. I'm smiling. <laughs> I keep stretching and paying. And then... And then, I guess he figures I'm too close to him and his Playboy eggs because now he pushes his cart a little bit and hits me in the leg on purpose. Well, I have just about had enough. Even for a polite, polite Canadian, he has gone too far. I decide to finally draw the line and call him out on his behavior. I will draw the line. I have a line. I always bring a line with me. And now, not only am I going to draw the line, but I'm going to cross it. I am about to draw and cross the line. It is drawing and crossing line time. I'm about to do some land drawing. I come up with a simple enough plan. I haven't really looked at him yet. I will, I will hold my head up proudly look him square into his cart-pushing eyes, and call him an asshole. I want to call him an asshole. I need to call him an asshole. The world demands that I call him an asshole. I will look at him in a, in a judging sort of way. I will shake my head. I will shake my head, and then I will say, Hey, asshole, move your cart back. I'm trying to buy my rice products. I feel very happy about this plan. It's the exact right plan for this exact situation. I put the plan into action. I look straight into his face for the first time and see that he is a black man. He is an African-American. Well, the story takes place in Canada, so I guess he's an African-Canadian. If it was Mozambique, he'd be an African-African, I guess. I, I don't know the words. I don't call him asshole. I am instead besieged with white guilt. I immediately assumed that my great-great-grandfather was probably his great-great-grandfather's slave owner. I continue to assume that my great-great-grandfather probably whipped his great-great-grandfather with, with a shopping cart many times in the year 1846. I think about what his relative's long-suffering life would have been. Torture, cruelty, humiliation, disease, not to mention that he was stolen from his family. I think about all this and I feel the pain that my race caused his race. I back down. I don't call him an asshole. I instead say... Oh, sorry, am I in your way? And he says, yes, yes, you are, asshole. 
He calls me asshole. Me asshole? That was my word. I was going to call him asshole. He stole my asshole calling moment. Only an asshole would call an asshole before he got the chance to call him an asshole. I no longer think of him as black or any color except one. He is now the color of asshole. He is asshole colored. I come up with a new plan. I will look at him in his green slash asshole colored eyes and say, Oh, yeah? Well, you are an asshole times two. Move back your cart. It's a good plan. A wonderful plan. I am ready to begin this plan and look into his asshole face once again. But I notice that he's smiling at a picture that someone sent him on his phone. It is a picture of him with his beautiful 10-year-old son and his elderly but handsome father. Both black and both, I am sure, assholes. (laughs) But they are beautiful together and represent three generations of a family. Of an American family. Of an African-American family. He is touched, smiling at the picture, and I try to ignore the image and carry on with my asshole-calling plan, but he continues looking at the picture, smiling, and I begin to weaken. I start thinking of the 20th Century American Negro Baseball League and all the great athletes and gifted men who are treated so awfully compared to their white peers. No hotels or restaurants for these heroes. I think of Satchel Paige, one of the best pitchers that ever lived that wasn't allowed to play in in the major league until he was in his late 40s. I think of the great Jackie Robinson! A greater pioneer than Christopher Columbus. And of all the abuse he must have suffered being the first African-American to play in the MLB. I think of all the African-Americans who have suffered at the hands of white people like me. And I smile. I smile to my African-Canadian friend with a mixture of sympathy and hopefulness. It looks a little like this. (laughs) My new friend looks at me and says, What are you staring at, asshole? Will you just buy your pansy rice products and leave? I don't have all day. My 10-year-old son needs his Playboy magazines. (laughs) Asshole. I fall back to Earth. Asshole Earth. And I immediately start thinking of bad African-Americans. O.J. Simpson. (laughs) Serial killer Wayne Williams. Apollo Creed. In the first couple Rocky movies. He got got pretty good in Rocky 3. I think of this and come to the conclusion that I am being a racist by not calling him an asshole. A black man in society has as much right to be called an asshole as a white man. In fact, if I call this card pusher an asshole, aren't I in a way saying, hey, Donald Trump, you are an asshole, and to prove that I just don't call all you rich white guys asshole, I once called a middle-class black man in a grocery store an asshole because he was an asshole. So, Donald Trump, you are an asshole, 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 and I have the credit to say it. See, I must call this man with the cart an asshole. North America, the United States, needs me to call him an asshole. He is acting like an asshole, and therefore he must be called an asshole, for he is an asshole. (laughs) I turned to him with rage pouring out of my white face. I loudly, for the host door to hear, scream, Back off, asshole! With three S's, I had three S's to ask. He looks shocked, deflated, defeated, and depressed. This gives me a huge grin, which all the store can see. Everyone in the store turns to me. They have absolute shock on their faces and anger and maybe a little bit of hatred, more so than I think I deserve. So I quickly reflect on what just happened. I scream back off, asshole, with three S's. Then I remember that sometimes when I'm angry and scream, I add an L to some of my words. And then I realized that I accidentally added an L to the word back, and I think it was between the B and the A. Now, during my next word off, 
I was very upset, and when I get upset, I sometimes switch letters around, so instead of off, it was more like a fa, and uh, that I screamed, and then I realized that in the middle of screaming, I hiccuped and added the word in after the fa, so I add up all my words and these sounds, and to my horror, I realized that when I thought I was saying back off, asshole, I was really accidentally screaming, black fucking asshole! I am now the most hated man in my neighborhood. In unison, almost sounding like the rehearsed audience in my AIDS fairy story, all 40 people in the store look at me, point their fingers, and scream, asshole, asshole, over and over and over. I have no $100 bills this time. No shirtless Mark McKinney is going to come out with a chair. The angry crowd walks over to console the now crying card pusher behind me. They, he shows them pictures of his beautiful son. Uh, I leave my rice products on the counter and start for the exit hastily. On my way out, I hear the cashier say, he was staring at my three breasts, too. I leave before I am identified as the AIDS fairy. The racist AIDS fairy. I will never eat rice again. Thank you. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm very excited about this. Please give a warm round of applause for my musical guest, the amazing Ted Leo. Ted Leo! Well, thank you so much for coming here. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is not an amusing anecdote, but uh, so I'm going to sabotage the uh, podcast even further. Let's tell them the story uh, that we met each other in Edmonton. We did. Uh, I was so okay. I played a show uh, at a. a I got. I, I went up there to, to actually to play a house show. Yes. But as part of the agreement... Oh, yes, with the, David Cross, right? Yeah, yes. No, yes, exactly. As, as David per- Cross! He's not a guest on this podcast. But we can talk about him. <laughs> yes. And uh, as part of the agreement, they said, we'll also get you a club show. And so I played the club show. Yes. And, um, and then we tried to uh, do karaoke at the bar upstairs. Yes. Where you and I met. Where you, yes. Finally. And, and this, is a, this is funny, not in the comical way, uh, but I had just finished doing uh, a stand-up uh, show where I had just done the grocery store bit for the first time, and not only did it bomb, but a woman halfway through stopped me from doing it anymore by going, for God's sake, tell us jokes! <laughs> so thank you for not saying that. And I, did I tell you that when that happened? You did not, no, no. And what did I say about what I thought about your music? Do you remember? You said it was complicated? It was a, You're half right. <laughs> that sounds like an insult. Uh, it was a comp... I got called, the kids don't have this thing that's called a comp assault, where you sort of backstab someone in a, in a complimentary way. That's not interesting. Um, but the kids don't all love that I said that. Um, I said it was complicated punk. Right. Which I did not take as an insult. I think no, it was a compliment. Yes, it's a good, it's a good thing. Because you have all kinds... There's a punk energy, but you have all kinds of things happening. Uh, what things did you listen to when you were a teenager? Oh, the things that teenagers like me listen to. Oh, but I, what are they? I want to know. You know, The Clash, The Jam. I did. New York Hardcore. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but I was also... hip hop. But did you listen to poppy stuff? Uh, I did, of course. Yeah, did you yeah. like XTC? I did like XTC. I liked um, uh, Skylarking very much. Yes. 
Um, I I wasn't though I was a big ska fan. Oh. I was not a huge fan of that kind of early like herky jerky XTC stuff. Yes, yes. Nor was I a huge Devo fan, though I have come around. Oh, in my adult. I like them because I hear their kids in the hall fans. I'm sure they are. I'm going off book because I have a question. What is the correlation between uh, punk and ska? So many bands start ska and become a punk band. Am I making that up? That's true. No, no. It? I mean, I, well, I think that as far as the '70s. Uh, you know, British ska thing that happened, it, that w- sort of coexisted with Oh, I never thought of that. It's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> you were making connections you didn't even know. <laughs> like the just... specials and stuff like yeah, that. Exactly, yes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, there was... Do you really want to get into this? Yes! Okay, all right. <laughs> I hope you're interested, but if not, politely, screw you! <laughs> so, you know, the early early uh, skinhead culture was associated with West Indian culture yes. in, 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 uh, ah. in Britain, and uh, they took on ska as sort of one of their... Uh, you know, music forms, and uh, thus you had bands. Uh, you know, a few years later, like Madness and the Specials, who yes. were who were white or or or, or integrated bands, and uh, and they began, uh, you know, fusing the, the two. And who sang the lunatics have taken over the asylum? Every time. Uh, were they called every time? No, no, I'm saying that's a, it happens every time. It happens every time. Yes, but who sang that? It was uh, some brand. The Specials broke up and became uh, uh, Fun Boy Three. That's it. So sorry. <laughs> This is my favorite interview of all time. <laughs> it's just for us. Now, uh, I hope this isn't an insult. Um, uh, you're totally original. But uh, you remind me of the energy of the Elvis Costello's first three albums. Did you like him at all? You didn't mention him. I did. Um, I did. He's also someone who I've... I'm not going to pretend that I didn't like Elvis Costello. But, okay. but I will say that I've, I've actually come to a greater appreciation of him the older I've gotten as well. Because I think when I was younger, there was something uh, that I felt... Was was sometimes uh, it, it the I'm not going to say it was a lack of soul. No, 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 not at all. No, but there, but but there was an archness to what he did that uh, was sometimes I felt like too I, clever. I, I'm trying to help. Yes, too, too, too clever, clever, a little overworked. I I don't agree with that anymore. But at the time, ah, right, right. at the time, you know, somebody like if we're talking about about British guys like that, like. People who were a little more hard on the sleeve, like Paul Weller or Billy Bragg or something. Did you like the Those jam and the Who? Yeah. Were you a mod for a second? I was. Yeah. I still kind of am. Yeah, all right. A mod. the only time that's ever gotten. Applause. Applause. Ever. We'll, we'll take it. Now, uh, I told you this earlier when we were standing by the bar, but we weren't drinking. Um, every comedian wants to be a musician, and every musician wants to be a comedian. You're obviously very funny. Uh, you're in the best show and uh, the Baldwin Cork video with Paul Tompkins, who's another comedy genius. Yeah. And when I see your videos, you have a lot of comedy in them. Um, uh, did you ever want to be a comedian? What's your relationship with comedy? You know, I, I didn't ever want to be... I honestly don't think I ever wanted to be a comedian, and I'm not entirely sure that I, ever, that I still ever want <laughs> that I still want to be. But I, you're closer. You're moving close well, to me. I, I think that what what I what I always you know you were talking about uh, um, who did you say were your uh, uh, um, your childhood idols earlier? Uh, uh, musically? Uh, no, you said that, no dur- during uh, Rachel's interview. You said uh, it was. Um, oh, who do I say? Was I lying? I hope not. I don't know because <laughs> I'm not you. I don't know if you were lying. Uh, Gene Wilder, Oh, Jerry Lewis, Marlon Brando. That's right. Yeah, I think mine mine were. Like Buddy Holly and Bugs Bunny, you know. So, excellent. There is that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, that That's kind of you entertainer. Are. You're Buddy you know? Holly and Bugs Bunny. Right. That's it. <laughs> I try. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, I, I, I did become, I became friends with a lot of comedians, um, just through mutual affection. I think, you know. I mean, I, like comedians are people too, and they like music. In a way. In a way. They like music and. And musicians like comedy, and so back in the early two thousands. Um, 
I got to be friends with you know, people like David Cross and Todd Barry. You know, David Cross, not a guest. That, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I just want to talk you and I. We'll talk later about because I can talk about music forever. And I try. Um, I honestly, this is boring, but here I go. I think a podcast is a good place to be boring. Sure. Um, so here I go. Uh, I try to write comedy. Like uh, music, I uh, the kids and all hated me for saying this, but I w- I would always say, okay, we have our first chorus, first chorus. What's our mid eight? Uh-huh. Um, uh, it's like jazz. It's the it's the jokes you don't hear. It's the jokes you don't hear. <laughs> it's the space between the cracks. <laughs> but I was I was always serious. I was always we got our like uh, re- but what's our mid eight? What's our different thing? Yeah. And then they yeah, just, makes they, sense. They would yeah. just stare at me. I, I would try to. Look. I think that makes sense over the course of a sketch. I mean, any dramatic arc like that's what it's that's what a song is. That's what a middle eight is for. You know, it's to break up the progression and. Then you, you bring it back. You know? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you for understanding You're me. very welcome. Thank I agree you. with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Fuck those other guys. In a nice way, fuck them. Sure. Uh, I always wanted to ask you this. Um, it's a stupid question. Here I go. Uh, Ted Leo and the Pharmacist. How did you come up with that name? Was it just something you thought of for in a second and you went with it? Or was it, uh, does it have a story behind it? I'll tell you the real story. Yeah, it's a yeah. real story. <laughs> it's very short. You don't have to put your mic down. Okay. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> So I was in a I was in a band for much of the '90s, and uh, we were called Chisel. And thank you, uh, I, I, good band. I love the band. But at a certain point, we did we did kind of realize like, what a stupid fucking name we have. Why did we call ourselves Chisel? That is a terrible band name. That is the most ninety dumb '90s band name you could possibly. We are Chisel. We are here to rock you. And the funny thing is, we were like a real mod. We were like a real like we we'd all grown up as like hardcore kids, and and it was when I first started like writing you know songs that harkened back to my first loves of things, and wasn't just like. And so like. So we started, we really like wholeheartedly embraced like that kind of like early who, you know, jam thing. And, uh, and so the name just did not fit at, at all. And uh, late in our existence, we were, we were sitting around talking about, you know, what would, what would a good other band name be? And um, uh, I think it was because the Falls cover of that old garage rock song, Mr. Pharmacist, like, Came on wherever we were in a bar in a bar in DC, and I was like, "Yeah, the pharmacists. Someday, I'm gonna have a band called the Pharmacists." And you did. And then so I just did. Yeah. Uh, Was there a point because you did the punk thing? Was there a point where you started writing songs and you found out, "Oh my God, I'm accidentally a good songwriter. I can't just do all out punk." Uh, did you find out by accident, or was it a decision? I'm doing all that punk, but I want to become a songwriter. What came first? Well, you're implying that all the shouty punk stuff wasn't good songwriting. No, no, it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, I, I don't. Uh, I mean, I, I don't honestly like. It, there's never that level of uh, of um, of self reflection about it. I, I mean, it's uh, it it just. You know, I just started. I just started taking off my seatbelt a little bit more. You know, you're when you're working like good with, analogy. Thanks. It's like. A, you know, because it holds you yeah, in so place. You, back. Yeah. No, right, exactly. you, you so, may go through the window, but it's something you may go, you drive to an amazing place. That's right. Yeah. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin. Yes. Why don't we do one more question and get to some music? <laughs> get to oh, get. I said get to some music. You no, get, get to some music. Get to some. <laughs> we hear what we get to some we music. hear what we want to hear. Yes. Kevin. Uh, Amy uh, Mann is also in the comedy world. Yes. And yeah. you're uh, the. How did that happen? Okay, so we we actually and together you're a power pop, which to, I love. Together we are a power pop duo that. That becomes a trio when we and play the drummer. And it makes sense because, like, punk plus sort of pop meets power pop. Sure. Yeah. It's a little, you know, because 
because Amy and I do have our gloomier tendencies, I think sometimes it's not like it's not like the cars. Like, you know, <laughs> let's go. Like, right. It's definitely a, li- a little more down tempo. But um, uh, we met we met through uh, through comedy friends. We met through through people like Paul Tompkins, who you mentioned. And, and is there another album coming? Uh, there is. We're both doing uh, our own albums uh, uh, coming out uh, early next year, and uh, then we will. We already have uh, new songs of our of our of our duo. So yeah, eventually. We'll so get I must end with this because uh, I'm a fan. When is your next album coming? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but I have a plan that I, I can't <laughs> entirely reveal right now. Um, but it will be early next year. See, that was amusing. Early next year. Thank you very much. Uh, Ted Leo's sure. going to do some songs yeah. now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. One, two, one, two, three, four. Moonlight shattered on this stretch of sea How many times I stood here mapping things out differently But I can't go back Can't go back Can't go back No, I can't go back Can't go back Can't go back Cross the road and run back to the town How many times I've run this way And how it runs me down no, I can't go back, can't go back, can't go back. No, I can't go back, can't go back, can't go back. My heart is beating and the days go back. My hands are bleeding, nobody wonders why. The Lord is telling me, what's this I did? Well, I might just give it away. In the paper cup How many times you chipped away Until it turned me up But I can't go back Can't go back Can't go back I stood here mapping how it shattered me. 
Been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.